What do we need to be doing differently to meet the expectations and to give the support needed so that we can continue to grow leaders? Healthcare, especially academic medicine, right, is so hierarchical and it's very traditional. And if we don't break some of those molds and really support the growth and development of newer leaders, we're never gonna bring about the change that we need to have the success we have and to engage our frontline staff. Admitting your mistakes, giving people the space to make their own and pushing yourself to change are huge factors in the development of leaders. I'm Rebecca Corin, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Justin Precourt, Chief Nursing Officer at UMass Memorial Health, deeply understands the power of owning your faults when modeling the culture that you want to build. Despite our efforts, we're all human, and of course, sometimes we slip up, and it's not easy to admit when we do. But for Justin, these are important moments to highlight, not gloss over, and seeing the ability to turn mistakes into opportunities and learning experiences has served Justin and his team well. Paired with ownership and accountability, Justin sets the tone for his team to search for their own sense of purpose in their work and not to underestimate the impact that each of them has. But where does all this come from for Justin? He says it's a long family line of hardworking, servant-minded people. And his story will start there. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much for joining me today on Moments Move Us. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? It's great to be here. Doing very well. I'd love to kick us off today and hear a little bit about your background. And maybe if you want to start by sharing a little bit about your family and your childhood and how you got to this moment. I'm the oldest of four children, grew up in a small town in Massachusetts, halfway between Boston and Providence. And we really, my dad was an electrician and my mom sold real estate. And both my parents started working at a really young age. My dad actually started working when he was eight years old and would ride his bike to the local dairy store and put newspapers together at five o'clock in the morning before school. And then out of high school, he got drafted into the Vietnam War and served there. And then when he got back, went to work for my grandfather in the family business. He was one of seven brothers, actually, who all worked for my grandfather. And growing up, I grew up around 25, 30 cousins, and we really had a great time. But really from a young age, both of my parents, because they didn't have the opportunity uh, to, to go to school, and it was always a bit of a struggle financially and making ends meet. We're really focused on both myself and my siblings getting an education. And so really tremendous focus on making sure that we got educations and actually worked in roles that helped us serve others. And in particular for myself and my sister, who's 15 years younger than me, both of us went into what I would call service work, both as me and nursing, and she teaches special needs children. And if you look at the four of us, three out of the four of us have master's degrees, and I just completed my doctoral work. And Congratulations. Thank you. It's actually, it's nice to have it done. And we really have just always focused on giving back, but also working harder, not forgetting where you, you come from. I remember years growing up and after church on Sundays, we go out with my father and do house calls, often by People who we saw at church who said, oh, yo, this light is out or we don't have any hot water or this isn't working. And I go out on Sunday afternoons with them and I never forget so often we go into these homes and 
people would go to pay us after and he'd say, no, don't worry about it. Just say a prayer for me. And I think that kind of service is really what was so impactful for me growing up. And for me, it, it, it the message was always use your education to, to do better and use your education to help others and, and just never forget where you came from. So powerful. And I think about kind of seeing your dad in that way after church and sort of the community service that he was providing to friends and neighbors and folks like that and, and how it I can imagine that really fulfilled his own sense of value and self in why he was doing his work, even though he wasn't technically in a sort of service profession, like on the healthcare side, he was still providing something really important for people, hot water, critical things. So why nursing? Like, how did you get to nursing? Like, it sounds like service was always in your blood. Yeah, it was really interesting when I was, so growing up when I got into high school, I was able to, at an age where I could start working. Actually, it's funny in Massachusetts, you have to have what are called working papers in order to start working legitimately. I had worked for years for free <laughs> for my dad. And I still think I, I have some old time cards that, I, that were never paid. But in Massachusetts, you have to be a certain age to start working and you have to get what are called working papers. And I remember, I think it was when you turned 13 and on my 13th birthday, I remember going to the superintendent's office to get my working paper signed so I could start working. And I started working at a local pharmacy actually one that my father had worked at when he was in high school and that a number of my cousins had worked at when they were in high school. And when I started working there, I really got to enjoy working behind the pharmacy counter and watching the pharmacists interact with people and watching counseled and coached and talked and the relationships they built with people that more and more healthcare became something that I was really focused on. This could be a good pathway for me. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I was really weighing in kind of, do I go the pharmacy route? Do I go physical therapy, occupational therapy? Looking at all kinds of different roads. And one day we had a career fair and one of the rooms for the career fair was a nursing room. And so I actually, I went and I attended it. And what was great is there was about six different parents who spoke that day. And I'll never forget, it. I was a sophomore in high school and six of the parents that spoke that day. I want to say three of them were dads and three were moms. And when I looked across, one of the moms was a nurse manager. Another person was a critical care nurse. One worked in the ED. Uh, one was a flight nurse and a military nurse. One worked in the OR. And it struck me how many different opportunities there were in different ways. And what I really loved about it is that you could move around a lot and really put your all into something. And then when you're ready for a change, those, there'd be other opportunities out there. During that time, actually, we were in a pretty significant recession also where I had grown up in a number of the factories and other employment opportunities, other employers were really downsizing. And so unemployment was really high and a number of my friends' parents were out of work. And I remember a big part of that conversation was that no matter where you live, there's always the need for nurses. And it didn't matter if you lived in the most rural or the most urban areas in the world, there was that need for nursing. And so there was a, it provided that backing to do whatever you wanted. And it was a great foundation to launch whatever you wanted to do long-term in your career. It's really cool to think back to those days when you had a career fair and then you saw, I think it's amazing that they had six different types of nurses. You had dads, moms, you had different parents, and then all of the different sectors that you have. I mean, I think nursing is a really vast profession. And then even within nursing, 
at a hospital, there are so many avenues to really go. And I believe that over the next five, 10 years, we're going to see even more of that develop as nurses continue to do more diverse things and really go towards their passion areas. I think that's something that COVID did ignite for a lot of nurses, which is them kind of thinking and having some self-reflection or is this what I really want to do? How have you seen that kind of play out? And I'm curious about the diversity of roles that you saw and then joining the field and then now to be in this executive level position. Was there a moment or something that kind of drew you into leadership once you got started? If I think back to what you just asked, I'll answer it two part. I think the opportunities are endless from a nursing perspective and in the way that we can help impact kind of delivery of health care. And I would say actually wellness services, right, to the communities we serve. And I think you're 100% right in the sense that what COVID taught us is get back to what you're passionate about and get back to what you really care about. And I think, honestly, and in some ways, that's impacted the labor market, right? Because we have the vacancy rates that we have and the challenges that we struggle with. But I do think people have gotten back to like, let me get back to what I find meaningful and what brings me meaning and fulfills me. And that's what's great, right? About nursing is like, there, there is a ton of opportunity. You know, I think for me, like if I look at my leadership journey, we worked at the bedside for about eight years. And then I remember a friend of mine had, he had just taken a leadership position probably six months prior and a new position had become available in the same organization that he really wanted. So he talked to his boss and his boss said, if you can find someone that's equal to you or better than you to replace you, then I'll give you that other position. And so he tapped me on the shoulder one day. He's like, hey, an opportunity for you. Any interest? And at first I was like, I was just in the process of, or I was soon to be married. We had just bought a house and the house was handyman special. So I, I had to get it, get it renovated. So I actually was really banking on my my nursing hours of having weekdays off to be able to get my father and some of my uncles there to help me. I was just thinking. Thank God for your earlier training of working for free with your dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I can do most of it myself, but I did definitely, it was easier to call on people to help me then. But after a long conversation with my wife, Becky, we made the decision to, she was like, just try it and go for it and gave me that push I needed and quickly realized two things. So one is I realized that I could have a broader impact across multiple patients and multiple people in my leadership role than when I was at the bedside focused on my one critical care patient. And although that impact was incredibly meaningful to that patient and their family, the broader impact I could have was looking at 100 patients or 200 patients or 1,000 patients or 2,000 patients and making sure that they ended up in the right place at the right time, getting the right level of care, just gave it a little bit of a broader reach. I early on got assigned a number of projects to work on and it really just shaped my overall view of what what kind of impact you could have in a leadership role. And really from there, it just took off. I spent a few couple of years in that role and then spent about five years in a nurse manager role and then another five years in senior nursing executive role before I became the chief nursing officer here at UMass Memorial. Think about a little bit of what you were saying about mission critical, like purpose-driven work that is nursing at its core. And I think about the impact that nurses make on patients and nurses make the biggest impact because nurses do the majority, vast majority of 90% of the care for a patient in an inpatient setting. And so of course, a lot of the purpose is coming directly from 
that impact that they see that they have on the patient and the family directly. When you move into a leadership role and you're talking about a broader impact of now having hundreds of nurses and being able to impact that many patients, what are those moments when as a nurse leader, like I am making the impact that I want? How does that differ or how is it the same as how you fill your cup up as a frontline nurse? So that's a really great question. I remember a a research fellow saying to me, when you're in these, when you're at the bedside, you get almost an instant gratification. Whereas when you're in leadership roles, it just, it's a little bit of a longer, slower path. But when you look back, the accomplishments are the same. You made an impact on patients. And and basically he was sharing that with me to tell me to slow down and be patient and realize that it's not going to all get done on one shift. And I remember as a staff nurse, in particular in the critical care environment, when you went in in the morning, your goal really at the end of your day was to make sure your patient or patients were doing better than they were when you got there in the morning, that the room was clean. And honestly, that you got your gratification knowing that you gave it your all and plus or minus maybe a thank you at the end of the day from the family. I think in leadership, it's a little bit different. So for me, I think for me, I what really brings me tremendous joy watching a staff nurse who maybe was struggling at one point in time um, and you give a little bit of coaching and mentoring to and has tremendous success or knowing that a program you you put in place is actually helping a unit or a floor run run more consistently right and run with greater with less variability so that this the staff have a greater level of engagement and are more satisfied and in turn are taking better care of patients or seeing a program that you choose to fund have success and patients saying thank you. It's really funny. We recently had started a um, hospital at home program and we've really have had so much success with it. But a lot of the staff that we hired into it were staff with 20, 25, 30 years of hospital-based experience. And you know, within a couple months of being in the program, all of them came up to us and said, this is the best thing I ever did. It's renewed my sense of purpose. It's renewed me as, as a staff member. And it just knowing that you're making that kind of an impact and out of the 600 patients that we've treated this year on the program, knowing that those 600 patients have gotten better care because of it. That's where I think as a leader, you get that gratification, right? And you, and that's what I think that, and then the last thing I think That kind of tops it off for me is really seeing leaders have success. So seeing managers who maybe have worked for me for years, take that next step and have that have success at the next step, seeing leaders who maybe came in uh, and didn't have all of the tools they needed and tools they wanted from the start, but being able to work with them and coach them and help them have success to me, there's no greater feeling. And can you share a little bit more about hospital at home? Because I think hospital at home is something that I think as an industry, we are moving more in this direction. I mean, it makes so much sense for financial reasons, for the care, the quality, the comfort of the patient, just so many things that it really works. But I think I'm curious about what folks are saying that is so impactful for them being a part of hospital at home versus maybe other areas that they've been a part of, whether it's home health or inpatient care. What do you point to in that? Well, I think that it gives them such a more comprehensive view of the patient. We've had three or four stories, and I won't remember them all. Some tend to blend together, but we've had stories where patients who were seen 
30, 40, 50 times a month in our emergency departments. We get them admitted into a hospital home. And when we get home, we see that they have no food or they have a hoarding issue. So some of the nurses have gone in and actually helped clean individuals' apartments out with their consent to help give them a space so that they can emulate to the bathroom and that they have, right? Doing laundry for them, going out food shopping, making sure that they have food. And all of that has, I think, opened the staff's eyes to really uh, social determinants of health and what patients are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And then how how those social determinants of health impact their ability to stay well and impact their ability to stay out of the hospital or stay out of the emergency departments. And that's where I think hospital home has such a profound impact because you actually, in the hospital, patients lose control and dignity. And we provide this very controlled, structured environment for them. They go back to the environment that they live in, which is kind of anything but that. So everything else gets in the way. And what hospital home does is it allows us to deliver care and come up with a safe care plan with those in that environment that they live in each and every day, ready to provide better care to better care to patients. And the beauty is technology is such nowadays that we really have the ability to monitor the patients safely in their home and provide great care to them. Absolutely. And the power of seeing like the full scope of a person and how you impact them. I think the way that you just shared that is, is just so meaningful because I think when a patient is in the hospital and a nurse sees them for a moment in time in the course of their life and the social determinants really have a major impact, but when they can provide the treatment and help look in the environment and figure out like some of these sort of real health challenges that exist that are barriers to wellness then the nurse becomes just so much more than that function at a moment in time. It's a lifelong sort of systemic catalyst for change in somebody's life. Absolutely, 100%. The other thing that you were just mentioning, and I do want to go back to it because I think it's so important, is about how you fill your cup as a leader and looking at empowering other leaders with your coaching and, and really extending the reach that that you have through other leaders and how that they end up delivering leadership and coaching to their team members and then in turn providing great patient experiences and great patient care. We are in such a challenge right now in workforce and healthcare. It's, it's never been harder, I feel like. And the challenges continue on when we balance agency and some of the workplace sort of violence issues that exist and some of the community distrust. How do we keep our nurses and our leaders invigorated and coming back. And you talked a lot about purpose. Can you share a little bit about how you do that as a leader? I think it's really important to help set set boundaries. So I think two things. One is bringing it, always bringing it back to the, the patient and the community that you serve is incredibly important, right? So when you're in conversations and you're making decisions, especially as a leader, about do we do this or do we do that? Can we support this? Can we not? Like bringing it back to what is the impact on patients going to be is really an important True North metric, right? It's really an important True North compass of this is how we do business and that really focused kind of core value. It's so important. I think when you talk about leaders, I think it's different. And But it's so what one person needs is different than what someone else needs. And we actually... My nurse executive team and I had this conversation today. We've had a couple of our younger, less experienced nurse managers turn over or talk about doing something different recently. And we had the conversation today of what do we need to be doing differently to meet the expectations and to give 
the support needed so that we can continue to grow leaders. Healthcare, especially academic medicine, right, is so hierarchical and it's very traditional. And if we don't break some of those molds and really support the growth and development of newer leaders, we're never going to bring about the change that we need to have the success we have and to engage our frontline staff. And so we talked a lot and I'm actually meeting with a group of these managers this week just to really hear from them, what should we be doing differently? I think one of the things that's come up recently, people have talked a little bit about workload, but it's also the 24 seven nature, right? Of the hospital business. And so for me, one of my big focuses has always been, what do we have for supports during the off hours and on weekends and holidays? And how strong is that structure and that foundation? Because that is important for twofold. One, for you frontline leaders, that is the time that they need to be off. That's the time that they need to either be with their families or doing something else that helps them find additional purpose or it just gives them that headspace so that they come in, can come in and be their best selves. And then also that's the time that the staff needs you most. And so having individuals who are really strong leaders in those roles who can help troubleshoot and build relationships and the staff trust is really important. And so really so much of my focus is on that. How do you build and create systems that really work during those off times so that the frontline management team can have a break? clear their head and do whatever it is that helps them come in and be their best selves the next day. And that's so important. And I think a lot of organizations sometimes miss the mark or we don't invest enough in those off hours and kind of weekend times and holidays and others and, and understand the importance of it. It's funny, I learned a really important lesson a couple of years ago around that where we had had a patient issue in one of our emergency departments and it was on Christmas Eve. And I remember working with the nurse manager around it and it was off hours. And instead of working through the nursing supervisor, who was the in-house coverage at the time, I worked through this nursing nurse manager and I wasn't super happy with the way that things had played out. And I ended up making the mistake of texting her on Christmas day, a couple more thoughts I had. And we later discussed it. And I actually later apologized to her as I sat back and reflected on it. And there was no need for me to bother on, on Christmas day. She was young kids and she was trying to just enjoy her Christmas morning. And I lost sight of the fact of getting a text, not just from her boss, but from her boss's boss, right? On, on Christmas day, really was a really poor form on my part. And I think I took that lesson and really took it to heart. And I really think that as we continue to, as we continue to try to grow and develop leaders, we just, we have to be so mindful of that because we're so connected all the time. It's very easy for them to get pulled into a hundred different directions. Yep. And that time is like sacred time for our people to just recharge. Can't keep like that. I think that you said it so well. And can I also just say, Justin, I've had the chance to connect with you before. And I just feel like the way you just shared that, I just want to thank you for doing that because, you know, when things don't go well, we don't share about it publicly, right? We are like, okay, that wasn't my best form, but I'm not necessarily going to bring that up. The fact that you go towards that and say, you know what, I could have done this better. That's how to create a culture that is constantly evolving and creating more opportunities to just be better and become exceptional every day. Because if we don't look at things that where we maybe misstepped or maybe we didn't have the boundary that we wanted to have, or it inspired us to be even more boundaried around people's sort of personal time, that's what we need to advance. And, and I just wanna commend you for that. And I want to ask you a follow-up question in addition to the compliment, which is how do you set a stage for that? 
in your world with your leadership? Like, how do you set the stage for people to be able to feel comfortable saying I messed up here or I made a mistake or even something less than that, where it's just like, you know, I think we could do things better. So I think the first step actually is I actually acknowledged on one of our leadership huddles and shared that story they shared with you. And there was 200 managers and educators on that. And we actually had a really good conversation about it. And I apologize publicly to, to that manager and, and shared that we're all human. At the time it was in between wave one and wave two of the pandemic. I had been working hundreds of hours a week and was totally exhausted and just wasn't at my best self either. And We've all been there. Just want to point that out. We've all been there and you are not alone. <laughs> just not all of us have the courage to share it at a leader meeting with 200 people. And I think that where I try to be focused on that, where I can influence and I try really hard on the weekends, not to email my team, unless it's twofold. I will email if it's just like an FYI and it's not something that they have to put any thought into or respond to, or two, if it is like a real kind of emergency that's time sensitive, then I know it's going to have significant ripple effects if it waits till Monday. But other than that, I really try to protect their time. I work really hard to understand the value of kind of work-life balance and people having time off, whether it's to take care of an aging parent or sick child or anything else that kind of comes in between, just like recognizing that that's important in people's lives. And if you give them that space, and then honestly, giving people the space to make mistakes, right? Yeah, I learn best from those mistakes that I make, and I know a number of people do. And so giving people the space to figure it out on their own, but knowing that they can always come to me if they have a question, I think has helped us have success. When you look back over the last 12 to 24 months, there have been probably so many moments that you've witnessed at its best and maybe at its worst too, because there've been a lot of serious challenges that we've had as we talked about a little bit. Can you share a moment when things really went right? And I'm thinking especially about maybe a story with a frontline team member or one of your leaders. Because I think so infrequently within an organization, we talk so much about like, how can we do better? Where do we focus? Let's drive towards improving our scores on the caps and financially and all of these things. But there's so many moments that go right. And I know that you're a big proponent of focusing on the positive in addition to the sort of wellness aspect around boundaries. Would love to hear a story about when it really went well. There's so many stories. We actually read each morning at 8 a.m. We do a daily access and safety briefing. And in our briefing, at least three times a week, we read a patient story from a letter we receive. And I can tell you, there's we really have never had any shortage. I would say there's two that really come to mind. One is was pandemic-related and one was not pandemic-related. So, you know, the one that was pandemic-related, we were in the first wave of covid this is before vaccines and really when their world was locked down. We had a nurse whose grandmother was in one of our ICUs who was, was dying and the family just really wanted to go in and say their goodbyes. And more importantly, they really wanted the grandmother to see her pet. And so really the staff on their own, through their own accord, came up with a plan to get her down to one of our ground level floors in a safe way and face her out the window so that people could say goodbye. And we chronicled this through a number of kind of media outlets at the time, because it was just such a great display of humanity by the staff. And they came up with it on their own, right? So it's that whole, when you give people space to innovate and give people space to 
be creative. They can really solve some significant problems. And at that time, that was an absolutely significant problem. We were under mandates not to allow family and staff in, right? The grandma had COVID and we really didn't know a lot about the disease at the time. And, but the staff really went out of their way and above and beyond to help support that family. I think the other time is recently we talked about a, through our DAISY Award program, we we gave a nurse, we received the DAISY Award and the family that wrote in talked about how when their loved one was nearing death, he had had friends visiting late one Saturday night and all he really wanted was a steak. And this nurse knew that the only pub in town that was still serving food, she knew that they actually had halfway decent steaks and she ordered takeout for him and had it delivered. And he was able to have a steak dinner with his friends and shortly passed away a couple of days later. The nurse, unbeknownst to the family, attended the funeral. And in the eulogy, the family mentioned this as you know, really a moment of dignity for their loved one who had been struggling for so long. And that for the next couple of days up until his passing, that's all he talked about was that steak and how great it was. And I've joked with her because she's like, it's a rubbery $10 steak, but it really made such a profound difference. And what I often tell, say to staff is don't underestimate the impact you have, right? That family will remember you for the rest of their lives. They'll remember your name. They'll remember where you were from. And they'll remember, and most importantly, they remember how you made them feel. And enough so that when they talk about glimmers and moments of an individual's life, that's so important. And those are two examples that unfortunately are a little bit morbid, right? They're around death and dying. But we recently gave out a Daisy Award and that was around a celebration of life. And it was written by a nurse and nominated by a nurse who was delivering and talked a little about the role her nurse in the delivery room played as her advocate to help her get the care and support she needed and just the level of comfort she felt with her so she could focus on delivering her child and not on the other complications that were going on. And I think there's so many examples of that kind of each and every day. The hospital home that we talked about earlier, nurses going in and enlisting family to help clean out apartments or texting their kids to run to the grocery store and get this, that, and the other thing for a patient so the patient can be set up and has the right kind of food. All of those are just examples that bring, I think, nurses and healthcare professionals back to their sense of purpose and connect us to the why we do what we do. Getting back to the why, it's, it's getting back to focusing on that. Yes. And just the intimate nature of nursing. Like it just, it strikes me. Oh, absolutely. You're with patients at such a vulnerable moment in their life, right? And treating them with respect and dignity and then building that trusting relationship. There's nothing more important. So Justin, thank you so much for sharing that. Now we're going to transition to a speed round as part of our podcast today, where I'm going to ask you a few questions off the books so that our listeners can get to know a little bit more about you. So let's start because you did talk a lot about boundaries on the weekend. Where can our listeners find you on a typical weekend? What are some things that you're typically doing? I'm an unpaid Uber driver, if you're <laughs> the truth. But I am generally on the sidelines of a soccer field or on the sidelines of a basketball court watching my children play their sports occasionally at church or just going for a hike or a walk through the woods. Are you a sports fan generally? I am. Yeah. yeah. And what's your favorite sport? Are you Patriots guy? I, yeah. So I follow all New England sports, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox. Right now, I probably follow the Celtics closer than anyone. My daughter's are huge in the basketball. We are a big basketball family, although we are vertically challenged. We do still 
love the sport. I think individually, I love to golf and ski. And actually, my kids, all of us ski, but my kids are taking up golf too. So it's been a lot of fun to get out there and play with them. And they're actually halfway decent. So it makes it fun. That's a great family sport. I think golfing is becoming a lot more like common to see families together on the weekends. Yeah, it's really nice. Even when we go on vacation and we've taken a couple with my in-laws and my father-in-law and I will take two of my daughters out with us, the two that really like to golf. And it's just a really nice day for them to spend the day with their grandfather and just enjoy themselves. And it's really quite fun. That's great. That's awesome. So Justin, what is something that less than 10% of your work family know about you? That I didn't pass my nursing boards the first time I took them. What happened? That just didn't work out, but then you got to the books afterwards. I've never been a great test taker and I probably didn't put the effort into it ahead of time that I needed to. So what would you say to aspiring nurses who don't pass the boards the first time? Don't get discouraged. Use it as a learning opportunity and reach out to the resources you may need to help you the second time around because they're out there and they're available. Love that. It makes me think also about how many athletes didn't make, I think about Michael Jordan and not necessarily making the varsity the first year out. So there you go. Exactly. And final question for you. So if you could be incredible at something, not that you're already good at, what would it be? Soccer, actually, because I'm an awful soccer player and my kids like give me a hard time all the time about it. They actually make fun of me. So I would love to be one of those dads who can go out there and school the kids even when they get the high school sports. And I'm not. Hopefully you can school them a little bit on the basketball, like golf fronts. <laughs> a little bit. Golf, definitely. Golf, definitely. Uh, basketball, we're pretty much even nowadays. And in soccer, it's not even a contest. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's fun to have athletic kids because they, they push us to be our best, even in our adult space. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think to being an exceptional like youth coach and mentor would really be, in addition to the soccer, but really would be from a legacy perspective, would be just a great kind of legacy to leave behind. And it seems like you're already leaving that behind with so many people that you've mentored over the years on the nursing side, especially. So it seems like you're doing it successfully. So there's that. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you. Taking ownership and helping your team find fulfillment are critical steps to developing the future of healthcare leaders. I'm Rebecca Corin, and thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.